In a world where uncertainty reigns supreme, where shadows of chaos dance at every turn, one truth emerges unyielding. Preparation is not a luxury, but a lifeline. Behold the Wellness Company, a beacon of readiness amidst the tempestuous seas of fate. Envision a sanctuary of tranquility, where the tumult of unforeseen medical crises finds no purchase. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit stands as a bastion of assurance, a fortress of resilience against the unseen foes of health. Within its sacred confines lie the tools of salvation. Ivermectin, to ward off the insidious whispers of disease. Emergency antibiotics, to quell the raging storms of infection. Antivirals, to vanquish the relentless tides of contagion and more. The Wellness Company Medical Emergency Kit is not merely a collection of supplies. It is the embodiment of preparedness itself. Crafted by the hands of esteemed healers led by luminaries such as Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. James Thorpe, Dr. Harvey Risch, and Dr. Drew Pinsky, this kit stands as the pinnacle of safety, the zenith of prevention. These truth-seeking doctors have forged a testament to vigilance, a testament to the unwavering pursuit of well-being. Embrace the certainty that comes from being armed against adversity. Embrace the Wellness Company, for in its embrace lies the promise of resilience, the promise of a brighter tomorrow amidst the chaos of today. Don't wait for the next crisis to strike. Visit twc.health forward slash strange planet and use promo code strange planet for an exclusive 10% discount. Prepare today and rest easy tomorrow. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, transformational healing from Reiki to spirit release to past life therapy. One client I had who had been speared in the stomach in one life and she'd been stabbed in her back in another life. And so she was actually feeling these pains in her present lifetime. Did you know you can now stream episodes of this podcast on your mobile device? All you need is my new Conspiracy Unlimited app. It's absolutely free, and it's available for both iOS and Android devices. If you're a Conspiracy Unlimited Plus member, pay attention. You can now stream premium content from your mobile device. My free Conspiracy Unlimited app for iOS and Android. Available from the App Store and Google Play. Get yours today and start streaming Conspiracy Unlimited on your mobile device. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Friday. End of the week. We made it. A quick reminder, I'm sitting in for George Norrie tonight on Coast to Coast AM. Hope you can join me the host of the Paranormal Podcast and Jim Harold's Campfire. Jim Harold joins me in the first half on Coast, followed by Open Lines. Again, that's tonight, Friday, October the 16th, Coast to Coast AM. Go to coasttocoastam.com for more information and to find an affiliate near you.
George Schwimmer is here to discuss how the death of his son David back in 1978 set him off on a metaphysical path and his investigations into Edgar Cayce, altered states of consciousness, shamanism, and various forms of transformational healing. George was a theater director for 30 years and he's written a number of books, stage plays, and screenplays. Schwimmer is also trained in Reiki healing, chakra healing, psychic readings, past life therapy, spirit releasement therapy, and finally, as a modern shaman, moving from Raleigh to New York City, then to Santa Barbara, Los Angeles, and ultimately to Santa Fe, New Mexico. His latest book is Transformational Healing and Killing Cancer. Hey, George, welcome back to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? Great. Good to be speaking with you again, Richard. Transformational healing and killing cancer. Uh, you say that your your journey into this field of transformational healing began back in 1978, 42 years ago. What precipitated this journey? My younger son, uh, David, uh, was uh, lost at sea while he was taking a kayaking course uh, with Outward Bound in the Sea of Cortez. And uh, Outward Bound's uh, insurance company refused to give us any information about it. And so that started me uh, looking for, first of all, information on the physical level. And then uh, since I had read about psychics, I started looking for psychics to see if they could give me some information, both about what happened with David and uh, why he died and uh, why he was here on earth. And I got some very interesting uh, answers. But uh, that, that's what got me started. And uh, the way it, uh, for psychics, I was directed to a uh, retreat by Spiritual Frontiers Fellowship, uh, which at that time was giving uh, retreats about three times a year around the country. And uh, when I went there, I found some psychics, but uh, it was a week-long retreat, and uh, they had uh, different sorts of uh, uh, programs in the afternoon. One of the programs was Reiki, and I'd never heard of Reiki before. And it said, well, it's a form of uh, healing that even a three-year-old can learn. And I thought, okay, I'm older than three, so I guess I can learn it. (laughs) And I signed up. And that's where I got started with, uh, with with healing was with the Reiki. And uh, des- describe what happens uh, with Reiki, how it supposedly works. Well, I can tell you what my experience uh, has been. It's uh, energy healing, and uh, I assume it's uh, um, based on uh, the concept of the human energy field and uh, the chakras, and the word chakra is an Indian word meaning wheel, but in this context, it means wheel of light, and your chakras look, by people who can see them, uh, look like they're uh, twirling uh, uh, circular uh, fields of energy, sort of like a cone with the bottom of the cone attached at your spine, and uh, then you're a human energy field, and your, your chakras and your energy field contain everything that you've ever experienced, both in this life and past lives. And when something goes wrong, it affects your 
uh, energy field. And uh, so you are, with Reiki, there are different people uh, do things different ways, but with Reiki, you're acting as a channel. You're not using your own energy. There, uh, Some people use their own energy and uh, they can get quite uh, debilitated when they're uh, giving uh, healing. But with Reiki, you're just channeling energy uh, through your body and uh, through your hands. And uh, so when you become a Reiki healer, you are uh, given uh, what they call transmission, and you have this ability uh, uh, to channel this energy for the rest of your life. Now, what I experienced, um, I don't experience a whole lot when I'm giving Reiki, but the people who receive it will uh, experience this. And what I was uh, told by people when they receive Reiki, they feel it's, uh, they're feeling either heat or energy or uh, when this is going on. Uh, there are also some uh, very strange things that uh, sometimes happen. You also, uh, you talk about one case in particular, a woman with some hip pain. And uh, yeah. tell me about what happened with her. Well, this was a lady that uh, I was a member of a meditation group in Raleigh, North Carolina, and she was one of the members. And, uh, after I came back from the training, I told the group about my experience, and uh, she was interested and wanted to uh, uh, get some healing. And I said, okay, you know, come over to my house. And so I eventually, I don't, I don't remember, I think I gave her about six different tr uh, treatments. You have to give at least four. But I gave her six treatments, and uh, somewhere along the line, I, was, I don't know, probably about the fourth or fifth treatment, uh, I had my hand uh, on her hips because that uh, was uh, her main complaint. And uh, normally uh, uh, a person will start uh, dozing off when I'm uh, uh, treating them with the Reiki and sometimes they even go to sleep. And she was dozing off and all of a sudden she says, your hands are inside my body. <laughs> and I looked at my hands and I said, no, my hands... Uh, my hands are in, my, in your body. And she says, well, I'm feeling hands in my body and these hands are manipulating my hips. And don't ask me to explain that, but uh, a couple of years later, I read a book uh, called Joy's Way by Dr. Brew Joy, who was a uh, energy healer. And he reported the same sort of thing. He said uh, some of his uh, uh, patients reported that his hands were inside their bodies. And I can't explain it. I, I don't know what, what's going on. When you came back from uh, this um, workshop where you learned Reiki, you, you wanted yeah. to try it on a, a member of your family and your younger son, Eric, is it Eric, I believe, um, yeah. who, uh, who was kind of the family skeptic. Tell me about uh, what happened there. Yeah, Eric, uh, I guess he was, uh, let me think now, he was about 19 years old. And I came back and we were in the kitchen and I was uh, talking to my wife about uh, my experiences uh, that week down there. And uh, my wife said I was acting like I was on drugs. Well, that's what energy does to you. Uh, it uh, increases your vibrations. And he came into the, the, the kitchen and uh, he was lounging against the uh, refrigerator and listening to what I was uh, saying. 
And I had gone to uh, this uh, woman who was, uh, she's now deceased. She was a, a minister and a psychic, uh, Marion Starnes in Charlotte, and she used to come to Raleigh. And uh, she told me that uh, my adrenals had been affected by David's death. And as I was talking to uh, my wife, it occurred to me that, well, you know, this uh, Eric's adrenals must have been affected too. So without telling him anything about that, I asked him, uh, would you like to, uh, uh, would you like me to put my hands on you and see if you feel anything? He said, yeah, sure. So he sat down on a stool and I continued talking to my wife and I put my hands on his uh, back and I just kept talking. And after a while, I forgot I had my hands on his back and I kept talking. And after about uh, 15 minutes, uh, I suddenly realized I still had my hands on him. And I said, uh, Eric, did you feel anything? And he says, yeah, energy. Thanks, Dad. And then he walks out of the room. <laughs> so, so uh, that's what I mean. You know, people, uh, the same thing happened when I tried it with an elderly gentleman, gentleman uh, during the retreat. He said the same thing, that he felt energy. And uh, as I say, a lot of times, you know, people sometimes ask me to put my hands on their head if they had a headache, and uh, they'd go to sleep. You know, just uh, sitting up there with my hands on their head, they'd go to sleep. Uh, so I, I, know some, I know something is happening. I know I'm... Uh, uh, channeling energy of one, uh, one sort or another. I, ha- I had one situation where I wasn't doing Reiki. I was I did a past life regression and uh, for a friend, and uh, she reported that uh, she had died in a violent way. And so I did a visualization with her about healing her in the back in the past, and I told her to see herself being healed in the past. And then it occurred to me, well, you know, why don't I just uh, hold my hand over her body and channel some energy uh, and, uh, you know, maybe that'll help her. And uh, so I just, you know, ordered myself to send energy. And all of a sudden I start feeling my hands, this enormous amount of energy. And I can't describe it. You know, it's nothing like I've ever felt before and nothing like I've ever felt since. And this energy just kept building and building and building and building and I was thinking to myself, holy smoke, what's going on here? And it built to such an extent. Any sensation of uh, the palm of my hands. And I actually uh, bent down to look at the bottom of my hands to see if they had disintegrated because it, it felt so uh, bizarre. And this energy lasted for a couple of minutes, two or three minutes. And then I could feel it slowly subsiding and uh, disappearing. So that that was the only time when I really felt an enormous amount of energy. Normally I don't feel anything if I'm giving Reiki because most people don't need that much energy, but she apparently needed a humongous amount of energy. And uh, my understanding is that you, you don't even actually have to be, uh, you don't have to place your hands on someone to heal them. You can heal them using Reiki at a distance. Explain how that works. Yeah, well, first of all, yeah, you know, you're working with the energy body. And uh, in some cases, uh, for example, if you're in a hospital with burns, well, you don't want to touch the burn per, uh, burned person. So you have your hands a few inches above uh, their body. Now, again, I can't explain to you uh, how distant healing works, except that... Uh, 
you know, people people say that uh, you know that uh, the physical world is world is an illusion, and there's no such thing as time, and there's no such thing as space, and that where it's just sort of like a, a, a gigantic hologram. So anyway, that's theoretical. And I had never I had never tried uh, uh, to use uh, distant Reiki. Um, for the first few years, so I never had any reason to. I didn't know anybody who was asking me for a raking at a distance. And uh, around 19, uh, no, wait, around uh, 2000, 2005, I, w- I started doing some uh, uh, training to become a shaman. And I had a friend in, uh, in uh, North Carolina who uh, was a uh, uh, psychological therapist. And she used to uh, call me up and uh, ask me about things. And uh, I sometimes gave some uh, readings for her and did some Reiki and so on and so forth. And she called me up one day and uh, said that her uh, father-in-law was uh, uh, in, uh, had just gone to the hospital and he was having heart failure and, uh, I forget something else with with his heart, and would I uh, give him some Reiki? And I said, "Well, I've never done it before, but okay, yeah, let me let me go and do it." And uh, so I went ahead and uh, uh, did as I had been instructed by my teacher, uh, Virginia Samdahl, and uh, my my friend uh, Julia uh, sent me an email a couple of days later, and she said her father-in-law was better. He was uh, he had uh, come back from the hospital, and he was feeling better. Now, one of the, the uh, odd things with these uh, uh, early uh, Reiki uh, distant healings that I was doing, you can. Well, I don't. I don't know if anybody can do it because I was I was trained as a psychic also. But when I uh, before you give somebody a, a distant healing. If they had not personally asked for it, and Julia's father-in-law had not asked for it, you have to ask inside, ask the person inside yourself if they want to get this healing and if they're willing uh, to get the healing. And uh, so I tuned in to uh, Julia's father-in-law, and he said, well, okay, you know. And uh, so when I gave him the healing later on, I tuned in again, and he said, well, I'm making no promises, but, you know, uh, I'll accept the healing for now. So it's, it's interesting that a lot of times when uh, people are ready to die, uh, sometimes they're ambivalent about uh, whether they want to live any further. And, uh, you know, we all, we all look upon uh, dying as uh, uh, something that we want to avoid at all costs. But, you know, there are a lot of people, particularly older people, who, uh, for one reason or other, either because they have a severe illness or uh, because, you know, they've lived so long that uh, they're ready to move on, uh, they're really ready to go. And so uh, you have to ask inside uh, if they want to. So I I did about uh, two or three or four of these, and I always asked inside uh, about uh, people. And I had uh, one case where a guy had... uh, uh, cancer, and I could see it in his body as as a just a darkness. And so I, I did the Reiki healing, and I did some visualizations, and uh, most of it was uh, gone. 
And when I tuned in again, I could still see some threads, the black threads in his legs. And I asked him inside, you know, what's that all about? And he says, well, he wasn't ready to let it go. And so uh, he, uh, he, he came home from the hospital, but then uh, a couple of weeks later, uh, he died. So, uh, you know, he, he was ready to go. And uh, I feel in, in that particular case, uh, it wasn't a question of saving his life. It was a question of removing a lot of negative energy before he died. And you don't want to uh, die and take anything with you. And uh, any any of the, uh, the philosophies or spiritual uh, beliefs uh, will tell you, you know, uh, let go of everything uh, when you when you're gonna when you're ready to to die because you don't want to take it with you because you take it with you and you're gonna reincarnate and you're gonna have the same problems all over again. Uh, you you've also been a practitioner of past life therapy. Uh, tell me about yep. how that how that started and and what you experienced. Well, uh, I first I first ran across uh, uh, past lives when I read a book about Edgar Casey uh, in 1958. I was 27 years old. I was a agnostic. I've been an agnostic uh, all my life, and uh, up to that point. And when I read this biography of Casey, uh, it just turned my belief system upside down. And of course, the the important uh, aspect of the Casey for me was that uh, he spoke about people's past lives and he told people in trance what their past lives had been and so on. And so I found that very interesting and uh, uh, it changed my whole view of life and death. Then uh, later on, I read a couple of uh, uh, books about past lives. And one of them was uh, a couple of books by a man named Dick Sutphin who did... uh, these uh, big events uh, regressing uh, up to 200 people at one time to, to their past lives. And then when I started on this uh, road uh, going, uh, uh, as I said, I went to the Spiritual Frontiers Fellowship uh, Retreat, and then I went to another Spiritual Frontiers uh, Fellowship Retreat, and it was in Staten Island. I was living in New York at the time, and uh, a hypnotist there uh, spoke about uh, past lives, and he mentioned an organization called the Association for Past Life Research and Therapy. More generic. Immediately wrote to them and uh, signed up. And the organization, uh, this was, uh, I believe, in uh, 19, uh, 1981. And the organization had just been formed in 1980. So it was uh, brand new and had been formed by 50 therapists and hypnotists and metaphysicians and there were even a couple of uh, uh, psychiatrists and they had found that when they would tell a person uh, who they were treating well go back to the time when you first experienced whatever issue this person had and they assumed they would go back to their childhood or something like that and instead of going back to their childhood they would go back to a past life so these 50 people, and I'm sure there were others around the country, uh, these 50 people had all had this experience uh, with uh, their patients. And so they formed this association. And eventually, uh, I don't remember how much, they had, uh, I think they had up to 1,000 people uh, as members at one time. Uh, it's out of uh, business now. They, they, uh, something happened along the line. But anyway, it was very active at the time. 
and in uh, 1982, they uh, uh, began a training program for past life therapists. And uh, I saw 1984, I was living in New York, and I used to uh, uh, commute to Southern California two or three times a, a year uh, to take the training. And uh, I didn't complete it, I think, until, I don't know, it was 87 or 89. Anyway, it was quite a comprehensive uh, uh, training. So uh, that, that's why I learned uh, how, how, how to do past lives. In the, in the interim, also, uh, both when I was being trained uh, and otherwise, I experienced some uh, uh, past life recalls myself. And uh, some of them were pretty uh, significant uh, for me. Uh, uh, one, one, I uh, regressed myself. I made a tape for myself, and I regressed myself, and I found myself in Atlantis. And I was both a healer and a psychic back then. Uh, but the, the most uh, interesting life for me was I was at a conference one time, and the president of the association said, I'm going to regress all of you back to your lives of greatest inner power. And I thought, well, that's interesting. I never thought of doing that. And so she regressed everybody there, and I went back uh, to uh, life. I think it was in Assyria, and I was a warrior, and I was a uh, lead, eventually uh, the leader of the people. And uh, this guy's name was Aramis, and what he was extraordinary. Uh, on uh, not not so much in terms of uh, you know being a leader or being a warrior, but he was totally centered. I mean, the guy was totally centered. Nothing could shake him, and it was it was uh, really uh, fascinating. You know, experiencing the energies and the uh, mental makeup and the spiritual makeup uh, of this guy. And so, uh, a lot of times, I would take somebody uh, back uh, to their. A life of greatest power, because that gives them a, a, this is inner power, not outer power, uh, inner power inside themselves, because this gave them a great deal of a sense of uh, that, you know, they weren't victims. And one of the things that I found with doing past life uh, uh, therapy and uh, regular therapies find this, they call it the victim triangle. You're a victim, a victimizer, and rescuer. And uh, most people like myself, therapists and doctors and so on, they're rescuers. But you don't want to be a rescuer. You don't want to be a victim. You don't want to be a victimizer. You don't want to be a rescuer. You want to get off that triangle uh, because you've got to experience all parts of the triangle then uh, at one time or another. And uh, so this uh, regression to the life of the greatest personal power is uh, something that uh, everybody should do. Uh, everybody should get uh, from a uh, past life therapist because it will give you a real sense of uh, that, you know, you're, you're not a victim. So what is the principle behind past life therapy? How is it? And I think the term uh, or the phrase that, that jumped out at, at me when reading your book was uh, to relive is to relieve. So how does that work? Okay, that was an old slogan. I don't know if anybody still uses it, but this was an old slogan. Uh, that the early past life regressionists uh, in the 80s were using. And the idea was, uh, okay, you've got a certain symptom. Uh, for instance, uh, uh, I'm just uh, working uh, 
to clean up the book a little bit. And uh, I had, uh, I'm just working on one uh, client I had who had been speared in the stomach in one life and she'd been stabbed in her back in another life. And so she was actually feeling these pains in her present lifetime. So uh, traditional uh, past life therapists would uh, take you back to past life and go through the life and uh, this uh, person would uh, experience having been speared and then uh, uh, they'd probably be told to, you know, uh, let go of that or maybe given some sort of affirmation or healing or whatever. And uh, that supposedly was the end of it. But what I found was that that was not the end of it. Uh, uh, very early on, I began using a person's higher self. And I'm not sure what the higher self is, but uh, it is a part of you that is beyond time and space. And uh, it knows everything about you and it knows virtually everything about everything. And so I learned to, uh, at the end of a regression, I would ask a person, I'm going to take you up to your higher self. I'm going to count to 10. I'm going to take you up to your higher self. And the higher self will tell us the purpose of that life. So we go up to the higher self. And uh, virtually uh, every time uh, I could speak with the higher self, there's only one or two cases when I couldn't. And uh, so the higher self would say, okay, well, you know, this was the purpose of that lifetime. And then I would ask, uh, well, how does that lifetime connect with the present lifetime? And uh, it would turn out every time that there was an issue beyond whatever happened to that person. Uh, in this particular case where I mentioned just now, uh, her issue was uh, not loving or not being loving. And uh, so the uh, pain was just a signal for the issue. One of the earliest ones uh, that uh, I found really fascinating, a man came to me, I was doing a past life readings at the time. And uh, so I gave him a reading and he came to me with a complaint that uh, he, oh, he was only in his 40s, he was incontinent. And secondly, he had a lot of red marks on his body which had no physical cause. And so I did a reading for him and it turned out that he had been a Roman warrior who had, uh, as part of his duties, uh, killed a lot of people. And that accounted for the red marks on his body. They were symbolic of the people he had killed. And his incontinence came from a, a life when he had been a uh, monk who had lived to an advanced age and had become incontinent. And that was to remind him of the monk life. And the reason he had these two sets of uh, uh, symbols was that he had not come to terms with the fact that as a monk, he had, of course, uh, uh, never killed anybody and never uh, would have killed anybody, and, but he had a Roman life when he killed people and he, and he, and he was having trouble on a subconscious level in uh, uh, you know, making these uh, two lives fit together. Now, what I found about that at the time, I, I don't think I really gave him enough uh, information, but I didn't have it at the time. Uh, what I found out since then is that we live lives where we experience one thing, and if it's a negative thing, uh, we need to experience the other side of it. Maybe not exactly, but in certain ways. 
And I'll give you an example. I had uh, a, uh, a student uh, many years ago, I was a college professor, and this young guy was a brilliant guy. He became a writer. And uh, he, uh, when he was about 23, he discovered that he was gay. And so then uh, he moved to New York and he just uh, joined the gay, co- uh, the gay community. And he, the first book that he wrote was uh, pretty much autobiographical, uh, I could tell uh, uh, from reading it because I knew, I knew something about his uh, background and his life. And in one chapter, he is the the character is writing about a dream he had had, and in this dream, he was a guard at a Nazi concentration camp for homosexuals. And so I figured, okay, he is uh, you know my student uh, uh, George. This, this this is a memory of his past life. It was a dream, but this is a memory of his past life. So in a past concentration camp and in this life he comes back as a uh, uh, a gay man and eventually uh, George wrote this marvelous article which was published in the the, the uh, New York Times magazine which uh, gave me a tremendous uh, understanding of the gay experience and of the uh, uh, AIDS, which uh, he wrote about at the time, and eventually he got AIDS and died. So you can see here the, these two sides of the coin that uh, take place uh, with all of us uh, during life. And uh, it doesn't have to be you know, uh, that uh, serious, but we need to experience both sides of the coin. And uh, for example, I, we, when I was in college, we had this uh, a class in ethics, and one day we got into a uh, argument about can a, a priest uh, counsel a prostitute? I mean, the priest doesn't know anything about the life of a prostitute, so how can he go and, uh, you know, give her advice? And we had this terrific fight, fight in class, and I insisted that the priest could not possibly uh, counsel a prostitute if he had not had any experience as a prostitute. And uh, that that is that is the reason why uh, we we you know if we don't if we don't walk in somebody else's shoes we really don't know what uh, uh, what it feels like to walk in their shoes so we tend to reincarnate uh, very often uh, so that we experience both sides of the uh, question. Well, if someone was a priest in this incarnation, uh, according to that reasoning, isn't it? quite possible that in a previous life they had uh, led a, a you know let's say uh right a, a, right a, if a he had, yeah if, so he may he may very well be qualified to he may have walked in her shoes in that, right in that case he would be you're right more of my conversation with George Schwimmer when conspiracy unlimited returns I use Life Change Tea from Get The Tea every morning and it's made such a huge difference in my life. 
Buy a one-year supply of Super Strength Life Change Tea and start feeling rejuvenated right now. Life Change Tea is not the same tea you buy in a store, off the shelf. Life Change Tea from Get The Tea has eight powerful herbs blended together to maximize your health. This tea is specially formulated to help cleanse your kidneys, liver, colon, and blood all at once. The colon is one of the most ignored organs in the human body. The faster that waste is eliminated from the body, the less time that waste sits in our intestines, spreading toxins to our bloodstream. The benefits of this product go way beyond what I've listed here. Do your research and start your day with a cool, refreshing 16-ounce glass of Super Strength Life Change Tea. It's non-GMO, organic, caffeine-free, and again, not available in any store. Use the code UNLIMITED and all your orders ship for free. So go on, get your tea from getthetea.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to treat, cure, or diagnose any disease. If you have a medical concern, please contact your healthcare provider. Theoretical physicists say that there is as many as 12 hyperdimensions. Here are just three of them. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Pretty cool, huh? Uh, here's an extra one. Conspiracy Unlimited. Hey, how about one more? Conspiracy Unlimited. And the great thing is we have six hyperdimensions left. Conspiracy Unlimited. Five. George Schwimmer, Ph.D., the author of Transformational Healing and Killing Cancer, is here. All these different modalities of healing, uh, mediumship, past life therapy, Reiki, are they all connected somehow? Well, uh, they're connected with me. And uh, let me tell you a couple of things that uh, at the time I didn't understand, but uh, I, I grew to understand later on. I believe that I came into this life to be a writer. I didn't start writing until late, but that was my uh, ultimate uh, purpose in coming into this life. And uh, I remember when I was about 19, I thought about being a writer and I couldn't think of anything that I wanted to write about. So I just put it aside. Now, after David died, uh, as I mentioned, I belonged to this meditation group and I was looking for psychics and somebody in the group said, well, you want to go see this lady named Edna and she knows a lot of psychics in North Carolina. So I called her up and she invited me over to her uh, apartment and we talked about uh, David and uh, psychics and so on. And she asked me to meditate for a few minutes. So I closed my eyes and I started meditating. And I got this inner image of what looked like an ancient Roman or Greek uh, door, doorway made of stone. There was no door there. It was just a doorway, and the door frame was made of stone. And this doorway, in back of that was another stone doorway, in back of that was another stone doorway, in back of that was another stone doorway. And uh, when I finished meditating and I told this to uh, Edna, she said, well, what that means is that the way is open for you. And I thought, open for what? So I, you know, I put that in the back of my head, but I didn't know what it, uh, what it meant. And uh, then uh, that summer when I went to the Spiritual Frontiers uh, Fellowship uh, retreat, uh, they had a morning meditation class. And I went there uh, early in the morning. It was, I don't know, six or seven in the morning. And I think it was about the third day I was meditating and I suddenly saw a pair of cupped hands in my inner vision. And I assumed it was my hands. 
and into the hands were dropping beautiful gemstones of all color, uh, quite a few of them, you know, maybe uh, six or eight or ten of these gemstones. And it was a beautiful image, but I didn't know what it meant at the time. And later on, it finally dawned on me that these gemstones were gifts of the spirit. So those two meditations told me that uh, the way was open for me and uh, then that I would be given gifts of the spirit. Then those gifts of the spirit were these things that I learned and the Reiki and the regression and the shamanism and so on. And, um, experiences I for the first couple of years after David died I had some very uh, significant experiences with my inner guidance you know I'd read about spirit guides that didn't mean a whole lot to me but uh, after David's death I actually had uh, guidance coming to me sometimes uh, even verbally in my head and uh, so uh, it eventually uh, became obvious to me that the reason I was running across all these things and I wasn't seeking them out, they would simply cross my path, okay? And the reason I was uh, here was to have these experiences of these different uh, modalities and then to write about them. And uh, I was always surprised, you know, I always thought when I would uh, start, start one of these things, oh, this is what I'm gonna do for the rest of my life. So like with Reiki, I thought, oh, gee, you know, now I'm going to be doing Reiki for the rest of my life. And I wasn't supposed to do that. I was supposed to experience these things for a certain amount of time and then write about them. And uh, that is why I uh, wrote the, the book that we're talking about right now. The last chapter in the book uh, is titled Killing Cancer, and it's it's it deals with uh, herbal medicine and it's quite a departure from the rest of the book because those other healing modalities seem to have some connection perhaps to the luminous energy field and and so forth this is quite uh, different uh tell me about first how you sort of stumbled across this is another example of how things cross your path uh how you 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 first learned about herbal um, herbal healing and then give me the the uh, the amazing example in the book, uh, Jason Winters. Right. Uh, let me mention, uh, though, that uh, I had uh, read about uh, herbal usage. And when I studied shamanism, I, uh, I was told that the uh, first level of shamanism are the shamans who heal with herbs. And uh, when you get up on the ladder, then you uh, start learning how to do uh, energetic things and uh, soul retrieval and so on and so forth. So, it, it, but I, I never, I never was drawn to that uh, particular uh, mode of uh, healing. It's uh, you have to accumulate a tremendous amount of knowledge and spend years uh, learning about uh, herbs to be really a you know a good uh, herbalist. Uh, and, and in the manner of speaking, you know, you're you're being a doctor when you when you're doing that. And uh, you know, back uh, back uh, prior to uh, World War Two, uh, a lot of doctors used uh, herbs. People uh, uh, don't know that or forget about that. But uh, herbs were being used uh, by doctors, and uh, uh, herbal compounds were being uh, compounded by uh, pharmacists. 
and I'm sure there's still some pharmacists, pharmacists around uh, who uh, who uh, uh, compound uh, her herbs. Anyway, with the Jason Winter story, this started about four months ago. I was uh, I had uh, insomnia. I could not get to sleep. It was driving me crazy. And finally, about 2.30 in the morning, I got up and I said, you know, I can't keep tossing and turning anymore. I came to my uh, living room. And uh, a lot of times if I started reading, that would help me to get back uh, relaxed enough to go to sleep. So I went over to my bookcase and I yanked a book off the shelf. And I don't know why I picked that particular book. Uh, It was called uh, Threshold Threshold to... uh, Oh gosh, I can't remember the last name. The last uh, word. Oh, Threshold to Tomorrow. Threshold to Tomorrow by uh, uh, Ruth Montgomery, who was a uh, very well-known uh, White House correspondent, but she also uh, channeled uh, a group of spirits, including Arthur Ford, who's the most important medium uh, in mid-century uh, America. And uh, so uh, I opened uh, the book and I started reading the first chapter, which was entitled... Uh, Jason Winters. And the story with Jason Winters was he was just an ordinary guy living in England. He was born in England. Uh, his parents, uh, his mother was neurotic. His father had, uh, I don't know, something wrong with him. And Jason himself had asthma. And uh, he was uh, in uh, London during the, the Nazi bombing. And so eventually, when he was 17, uh, he and his uh, parents uh, moved to uh, Canada to be with two of his older sisters uh, who had married Canadian soldiers. And Jason become a, become a, uh, he became a, uh, uh, an adventurer. Uh, he did all kinds of things like uh, trying to uh, fly a balloon over uh, uh, the Atlantic Ocean. And uh, he... Uh, smashed a Jaguar car uh, for uh, the company to test the seatbelt. And he did all kinds of crazy things like that. And, uh, but he enjoyed himself a great deal. Uh, he said he was always poor, but he was having a lot of fun. And he eventually got married and had five children. And when he was 46, uh, he noticed a lump on the side of his neck. And the lump kept, kept growing and growing and growing. And finally, uh, he was uh, uh, feeling so uncomfortable, he, he went to the doctors and they did a biopsy. They did an operation which was supposed to last a half hour. It lasted six hours. And when he woke up, he was told by a surgeon that he had cancer of the jaw, cancer of the tongue, uh, cancer of the throat. And uh, the doctor uh, then uh, later told him that he had uh, three months to live and the uh, the, uh, doctor wanted to operate on him and remove his jaw, remove his tongue, and remove some neck neck muscles. And uh, now at that time, uh, Jason was called Raymond. He was born with the first name of Raymond. And so Raymond uh, asked, said to the doctor, well, if you operate on me, uh, will that save my life? And the doctor said, probably not. And so uh, Raymond said, okay, forget it. <laughs> you know, I'm not getting the operation. So he started uh, looking for ways to cure himself, and he tried Laetrile, and that worked for him for almost a year, and then the, the cancer came back. 
And so uh, then uh, he was told by his doctors he had about two months to live. So he went home expecting to die. And expecting to die, he uh, started reading religious uh, books like the Bible and the Koran and so on and so forth. And pretty soon he started noticing that all of these religious books mentioned herbs uh, that heal people. And he got curious about that, and he kept reading and reading and reading. And uh, finally, he decided uh, there are herbs around the world that uh, might cure him. So the first one he uh, looked for was uh, in Asia, and he went to Singapore, and he found an old woman who had this herb, which he, to this day, does not name because he doesn't want the drug companies to uh, uh, find out what it is. And so he found this herb and he uh, went home and tried it and it didn't work. And then uh, he went to England to look for uh, uh, red clover, which supposedly uh, uh, healed cancer. And uh, he he called up the uh, Archbishop uh, of Canterbury, who didn't know, but he said he'd find out for him. And he he, uh, he called him back and he said, uh, the herb is red clover. And so he, uh, Raymond went home and tried uh, red clover, and it didn't work. And then he had, uh, uh, when he had been a uh, stuntman in the movies, uh, Indians had told him that chaparral uh, would uh, cure uh, cancer. So he went to Arizona, bought some chaparral, went home, started using it, it didn't work. And uh, one thing I forgot to mention, uh, when he was uh, in the... Uh, when he had that uh, biopsy, uh, he apparently left his body and another spirit took his place. And that's what uh, Ruth Montgomery wrote about. And this other spirit that uh, took his place had been a uh, doctor and herbalist uh, back in the, around 1930, whose name had been Jason, and he had been a well-known uh, uh, doctor. And so he changed his name to Jason. So anyway, when Jason came home with these three three different uh, supposed cures, and he tried one tea and he drank it, nothing happened. By the second tea, nothing happened. Third tea, nothing happened. So one day out of frustration, he mixed all of the three together, and he said, oh, the heck with it, I'll mix them all together. And he brewed this tree, tea. And he said, the minute he drank uh, some of the tea, he could feel something happening. And so to make a long story short, within three weeks, the a big lump of cancer on the side of his neck disappeared. And within nine weeks, the cancer was completely gone. And uh, he returned to his job, he said, feeling uh, uh, like he was 20 years old. And so the, uh, the cancer completely uh, left him. And so when people heard about this, everybody wanted to find out how he did it. And so he started giving away this uh, uh, herbal uh, tea formula to people. And he said people, hundreds of people would line up in front of his uh, home. People would come to his his place of work and he finally got fired. Uh, People were flying in from uh, Germany and uh, uh, Australia. And uh, this uh, one... uh, doctor in England, an oncologist, uh, he tested the tea and he told Jason that the actual 
uh, herbs weren't uh, curing the cancer. What they were doing was purifying the blood. And the uh, herb that he had gotten from Singapore was acting as a catalyst for the other two and increasing their potency by, by 27. And so what the, this herbal tea was doing was uh, purifying uh, the blood and allowing the pancreas to go and man- manufacture enzymes, and the enzymes would then uh, uh, kill the cancer. So uh, he uh, eventually, uh, he couldn't afford to keep giving it away, so he had to start a business. And when he started a business, uh, the Canadian government came down on him, and they, uh, the police were harassing him, and uh, uh, the Canadian government... Uh, uh, harassed him, and he finally had to leave Canada, uh, and he went to the Bahamas to start the business there. And uh, eventually, uh, there's a record. Uh, uh, I don't have uh, the current uh, statistics, but uh, back in 1982, when Ruth Montgomery wrote the book, a million and a half people had used this herb, and uh, over a thousand uh, doctors. Uh, were recommending it uh, to their patients, and so this this is the the story. I mean, it's, it's a fantastic story. It's been around for forty two years, and uh, you know, who ever heard of it? I never heard of it and, uh, until I uh, picked up. Right, and my understanding is it was endorsed by uh, people like Prince Charles and. And, uh, well, the tea, the, the tea itself was endorsed. Uh, Jason was endorsed by uh, Prince Charles, but all kinds of other people endorsed the tea, and uh, he was given all kinds of honors, and he was even knighted uh, in Malta uh, at one time. So, uh, you know, this this is not uh, something that uh, uh, is just a fly by night uh, anomaly. Uh, it's been around for forty two years, and. Uh, uh, I read uh, one account where uh, around uh, 2004, by 2004, no, it was 2011, uh, 64 million people had ordered the tea. So there's got to be something to it, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, and then in a book, I also mentioned that, that I found this one. Uh, uh, I, I found uh, several uh, testimonials. I found them on Amazon, who, which sells the tea. And uh, I found it on the uh, Jason Winters dot uh, com, Sir Jason Winters dot com uh, website. And this lady said that her mother had two types of cancer. A friend of her, uh, the mother of a friend of hers, had two types of cancer, and both of them were told they were terminal. And they started drinking the tea, and within three weeks. Uh, their uh, uh, cancer uh, symptoms started to abate. And although they received uh, additional uh, uh, surgery and radiation, a year later, their doctors could not find any trace, not only any trace of cancer, but they couldn't find any trace of the biopsy and they couldn't find any trace of the radiation burns. And so the the thing not only stopped the cancer, but it healed these uh, two women. And then at the end of that testimonial, she's, uh, this lady wrote that uh, she had uh, found this dying cat and decided to take it home to, uh, you know, ease its uh, uh, condition uh, before it died. And her daughter suggested, well, why don't you give it some tea? 
Uh, and uh, she thought, well, it, can, it can't hurt. So she mixed the cat food tea together and the cat recovered. <laughs> Remarkable. And people can yeah. learn more at SirJasonWinters.com. Sir, S-I-R, JasonWinters.com. Uh, George? Yeah, just put it, put it, put it into the, uh, the Google search engine. George, how do we get a copy of Transformational Healing and Killing Cancer? Okay, uh, it is uh, right now the uh, ebook is available for pre uh, publication the, uh, on November 6th. And uh, November 6th, uh, the uh, paperback uh, also will be available at that, at that time on Amazon. George, thank you so much for hanging out. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back in a moment to share a few details about an upcoming episode. Hey there, I'm hard at work on another edition of Inner Sanctum, my free monthly newsletter. Inner Sanctum features my monthly brief, a column of my thoughts and opinions on what's happening in the world. It features a spotlight on a past guest, a look ahead to an upcoming episode of my weekly syndicated radio program, The Conspiracy Show. It features a look at this month in conspiracy and UFO history and my Conspiracy Unlimited podcast episode pick of the month and so much more. To get your free monthly newsletter, Inner Sanctum, delivered to your email inbox, just go to my website, strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca. Scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on Inner Sanctum and register. It's fast, easy, and again, absolutely free. Coming up next time, What if the United States had gone to war with the Soviet Union? What if they'd fought on land, sea, air, and the astral plane? What if alien technology had fallen into the hands of one of those rival superpowers? What if the Soviets and Americans had struggled for dominion across parallel dimensions? What if they'd summoned demons to gain decisive advantage? An award-winning author discusses Weird World War III. You know, what if the Russians made a pact with demons and used them to infiltrate the U.S. military? And, you know, how would you suss that out? And what would the defense against that be? Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. <laughs>